need to erase this subject from like six months ago. Erase what subject? Uh, at the very top, it's like D&D 5e shot themselves in the foot hard enough that people have finally started to look at other options. And that's just not true <laughs> anymore. If yeah, it ever was. I mean, it's it's crazy. They did lose a lot of money, but I mean, that's Wizards of the Coast, right? Wizards of the Coast makes a shitty decision, lose money, and then... Uh, and, and then no one cares six months later. Well, they I think what they do is they just turn around and... D&D's a little weird. Magic, obviously, it's easier to turn around and release the best set that you've released in two years after the worst one, so everyone forgets about the worst one. D&D's a little bit harder. Uh, I guess just saying sorry worked, but... <laughs> Uh, that's a good way to start this episode, too. Speaking of how much we all hate Wizards of the Coast, uh, let's talk about uh, something that's not Wizards of the Coast, Doug. Uh, that's going to be hard. Like, I'm pretty sure Wizards owns everything now, don't they? Oh, shoot. You're right. I mean, Hasbro owns everything, but same thing, right? Mm, yeah, no, that, that, uh, yep, you're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just be careful. They're coming for your house next. I mean... That's not good. It's the only thing I own. <laughs> but it's my house. <laughs> Hang on. Are we recording? Is this happening? Yeah, yeah. We're totally recording. Oh, I don't care. What, Matt's what, not what here. What show is this? Matt's <laughs> not here. We're loose, baby. <laughs> Whatever. You're still going to You're still gonna do the, the, the music intro first instead I, of just like the people talking first. I will do the music intro, is. but also my name's Kyle. Uh, I'm Doug. And we're the casual tutors and we're loose, baby. Oh, yeah. That's going to be like, what happened? I, I went to do private things without you guys, and everything's through the roof. Yeah, no, that sounds right. That sounds right. Shows him uh, for being selfish. Wizards owns everything, but fuck that. We want to talk about other stuff today. So if anyone remembers, this is when we thought of this, like, like six months ago or something like that, uh, D&D, Dungeons and Dragons kind of shot themselves in the foot trying to do some online stuff and make everything proprietary and blah, blah, blah. And uh, because the entire system of D&D has always been built on DMs doing whatever the fuck they want, because that's what tabletop RPGs are supposed to be about. Uh, everyone rioted. They did. I saw the riots. Yeah. I, I saw the riots in the, in the virtual D&D streets. There was a lot of online outrage like there always is for this kind of thing. But honestly, it's, it's all gone away now. Uh, but I, I don't know that it should have. I like D&D a lot. I've talked quite a bit on this podcast about the current campaign I'm running, which I can't really say anything about, but it's awesome, of Pirate Island, essentially, as far as the players know. There's nothing nefarious going on on Pirate Island. Don't worry about it. And, and I've been having fun DMing that, that, uh, that campaign in 5th edition. It's the first time I've run anything in 5th edition. Uh, but I am constantly pissed off that I'm in a book, essentially. Uh, because that's not normally how I operate. And I'm sure that I'm not alone in the tabletop space in that regard. What, what do you think, Kyle? Yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing. I think that you can argue both ways on, um, I guess I should start with this. I think fifth edition is very simple and it's made to be easy and it's made for people who have not played a tabletop game to come into it. And I can see where people would argue against that, but after playing a lot of different rule sets and game sets, uh, I think that's true. I think that you are stuck in the book, but I think being stuck in the book makes it easier. Uh, so I think really it depends on where you're at in your RPG-ness. <laughs> 
See, and here's the thing is I, I started on a combination of different things, but it was mostly third edition and 3.5 uh, D&D. And so I know those pretty well just because they're what I started on. And I extrapolate that to a lot of my other stuff. I feel like it's a very good starting point that I did memorize a book at one point, essentially. Uh, so there's a lot of things that just kind of make sense to me. And some of those translate over to fifth edition and some of them don't. Uh, advantage and disadvantage did not exist at that point. And I will admit that are some of the best tools that have ever been made in the RPG space. I really enjoy them. But in general, I I bristle when somebody asks a question in game that's supposed to be a quick thing and everybody at the table reaches for a book. It's great if you have a GM that has that book memorized, and I'm sure a lot of them do. And there's a lot of people out there that feel like having the book memorized is the GM's job. I couldn't disagree more. But hey, you know, we 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 see a lot of professional GMs now on YouTube or what have you out there uh, that that do have that, and it's a great skill. That's wonderful. That's not what I'm saying, though. What I'm saying is it should be something that whether it is something from the book or not, if somebody has a question, that question should be, be able to be answered fairly quickly in a way that's just like, well, that makes sense, even if it might create a problem further down the line. But that's also me coming from a perspective of it's not about mechanics and fair gameplay from a balanced perspective. It's about telling a story and having fun. I think the thing with 5th edition is 5th edition is very much the GM and the players telling a story to each other. Back to back, face to face, story to each other. Is there a game that is not like that? Yes. Because that's what I'm going for personally. So I want to talk about what's called uh, player-facing RPGs. Um, Player-facing RPGs are where basically the GM says, this is where you are. The GM fills in, you know, what the NPC might say back to them. But all of the the GM, in fact, I'm going to mention one, um, Numenera, that we tried um, back in January when everything was going on. In Numenera, the GM doesn't roll any dice. Only the player rolls dice. The player rolls to see if they succeed on things. The player rolls to see if, you know, if they're hit by the oncoming. And there's a lot of things in the player facing where there's not so much of you can and cannot do something. It's more of a explain to me logically why you'd be able to do this. Okay, you can definitely do that. Yeah, and I've seen some of those. Uh, I, I played Seven C with my brother a couple of years ago, uh, and it, I wouldn't call it classified as exactly that. It's much more in that vein, however, because it's essentially like it says yes to everything. Like I want to do this, and the game says yes, you do that. Now roll to see how you do it, essentially. So not you'll never fail, essentially, but you will have things that go one way or the other. Like, you know, you're like, I want to swing off the chandelier and land on a dude uh, and knock three people over on the way there. And you're like, okay, roll and see how well you do it. And it's like, well, you did the chandelier thing and it's all fine and all that kind of stuff. But like you missed a couple dudes on the way. Uh, you, know, you didn't look as good as you thought you would doing it, essentially. And that's kind of how this works, too. The, the other thing is, is like, where in fifth edition, it'd be like, okay, you know, make an athletics check and then make this check right. and then make a dexterity save to see if you make the landing or whatever. This one goes, okay, you know, uh, basically, I want to swing from the chandelier. My character is this kind of person who has this background, so it would make sense for them to want to do this in the first place. Okay, 
that makes sense. Like you're, you've been a freaking trapeze artist in the circus your entire life. Like you don't have to roll right. the swing from a chandelier, but okay, let's roll to see, you know, if you do hit those three guys or whatever. And so it kind of, I guess it cuts back on a lot of the fluff of fifth edition. Yeah. And I think that's the main divide is fifth edition. Really? It's, it's more concerned with being a board game than a tabletop RPG. It really wants to be like, these are the rules and you have to operate inside this rule set to do those rules. It's, you know, I don't want to step on Matt's toes because he's not here, but I'm going to, because he's not here. It's a lot like 40 K honestly, it's a lot like Warhammer in that regard. It's it's more concerned about the combat than anything else and making sure that you obey the rules in the combat. Whereas a lot of other RPGs out there are much more concerned with just like, well, combat's happening, you know, like it's out there. Uh, what are we doing though? Like what's what's the point of all this? Right. It's more in the, the role play setting. Yes. And I like those games. I mean, I like combat too. I you know, I just I it's interesting. I've always described myself as a hack and slash GM and you've played, you played my riffs homebrew. That's kind of a combination of riffs and AD and D and, and you want to talk about the most crunchy thing out there. Like riffs, if you play it by the original rule set is one of the most crunchy games ever. Uh, you know, but that's exactly why we took it and combined it with AD and D and Thacko to just say, all right, let's make this looser because we don't want it to be this specific, but I really like the universe. I also think that goes pretty crunchy, to be honest, but. I, I understand that. So for those of you that are not aware, uh, Thacko is an old, old guy's version of how things originally worked. It's how D&D originally worked back in the day. Uh, and it stands for to hit against armor class zero. And I know that sounds super crunchy, but honestly, all it is is you have a number and if it works in a perfect world, what that's supposed to mean is your number is 13. Your Thacko is 13. You need to roll a 13 on a D20 to hit against armor class zero. So if somebody has an armor class of zero, you're just like, okay, I need to roll a 13 or higher. That's it. So to me, it's not that complicated, but then people get into the algebra of it, which is, is a scary way to approach it. But they're like, well, okay, so what's the other guy's AC? And you go, oh, well, it's a negative three or, oh, it's a plus five. And people are now they're like, okay, so I have like a freaking X in here. I have to take care of Mm -hmm. where I rolled a, I need to roll a 13, but I actually rolled an eight. What's their AC. Oh, it's plus five. Okay. I did hit them. Yeah. But that's like an extra step of math that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's one example where fifth edition is much simpler or honestly, I mean, uh, I don't know exactly when they made the switch because 3.5 had normal AC as well. Correct. Uh, 3.0 is where they made the switch. Was it? DN, the first edition and advanced D&D, which is second edition, were the ones that used Thacko. And they went away from it because of that whole algebra thing, essentially. Hmm. I don't know that I agree with your point, though. I think that 5e and even 3.5 and third edition, I think that it's actually... It tried to simplify it and made it more complicated by trying to simplify it. I mean, I don't instead know. Of it, if you have an armor class of 18... They just have to roll an 18 or higher. Sure. But you, you're still doing the math. You're still saying my to hit is plus three or whatever. It, it's just different as I guess you, what I'm you saying. You are. You are. I suppose, I suppose you are correct. I think Thacko just seems kind of backwards. And it, it, it's probably just because I started at 3.5. So, sure. Although I would point out that I did as well, actually. Oh. So. <laughs> 
I I uh, I graduated. So the the Rift system is not my the the homebrew is not my own. Uh, it is the uh, the the brainchild of my old GM uh, Peter, uh, who I've not seen in many many years. But uh, it is was just he he was the one that grew up on AD and D and knew that system in, in and out and was like, well, I can just take riffs and make it into AD and D, which is why it ended up as such a loose thing. You played the riffs game with me. You know when I GM, the last thing I want to do in any situation is look in a book or or look up how it works. It's it's very much like somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to, and I sit there and think about what makes sense for five seconds and say, well, it would work like this. And there are numbers in that and stats in that and all that kind of thing, but the that's that's the thing to build off of for my thing is saying, okay, so you have physical strength, your physical strength stat, and you're trying to jump high it would be your physical strength set unless you have a particular jump skill. And if you want one, we can make one up right now where that comes from me is actually not the game I started on, which was third edition 3.5. It was D six star Wars, the old West end game, which was also extremely loose. I I remember when I first played it, I was very, very much stuck in the 3.5 mindset of like, okay, how does this work? And I was playing a Wookiee and I wanted to pick up a guy and throw him at another guy, you know, classic Wookiee move. And I was like, so how does this work? And I'm I'm getting ready to learn about grapple rules and all those kind of things and really just getting down to the nitty gritty. And my GM said, "Uh, well, that's called Wookiee throw. Write it down in your sheet uh, and we'll say you do it at this well. And if you do it a lot, you'll get better at it. End of story. Yeah, I I loved Rifts. Rifts was fun. I mean, Rifts is one of those games, like you said, that you can really pour anything into. And yeah. you can figure out the stats, you can figure out the abilities, whatever. Um, it is like a nerd's dream, right? Because you go, I'm going to play uh, a Power Ranger, and you're like, all right, let's do it. Let's figure this out. I've literally done Power Rangers in that system. I've done Firebenders. We've I've done, done Pokemon. I, I've done everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, and if I haven't, then other people I know that are still using it have. That is the entire thing when you sit down and, and sell risks to people is you're just like, hey, you can be anything like like pick your favorite comic book and and you can be that if you want to be. And that's what's fun about that system, because it is that loose that it doesn't care enough about the rules to act to get in the way of doing those kind of things. With that, um, I kind of want to shift a little bit and talk about systems, the non D20 systems. Sure. Um, so. Um, I have two examples. You did bring up the D6 Star Wars system. Um, so I'll yep. s- kind of start there. So I'm guessing you're talking about the old like 2000s original Star Wars tabletop. Correct. And it was not it was not just Star Wars. West End was the name of the company. I do not believe they're in business anymore because I haven't seen anything from them in a long time. But they had a whole series of settings, essentially, that all ran off the same system. Uh, and it was just like it was it was about rolling a ton of D6s, essentially. So instead of it being like D6 plus whatever, it would be just like, no, no, man, you just have six D6s on that skill. Roll them, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and it was fun until you got it to like 30 D6s, and then it got to be a pain in the ass to count them all up. And that, honestly, that doesn't sound too bad. I had a bad taste in my mouth from Star Wars RPGs because we played, um, they had three different versions. Um, I can't remember exactly. I think we played Force and Destiny, but they had Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, and Force and Destiny. There were three books that came out in 2012. The, this was the, the D20 system then, correct? Th- this was the system where they released their own dice with the game. 
Oh no, I I knew nothing about they they didn't they ran a D twenty Star Wars for a while. I didn't know anything about a different one where they had their own dice though. That's crazy. So this this Star Wars game was super weird. They had their own dice system. They they literally like I'm talking. Uh, they had like D sixes, D eights, and D twelves. I think. And okay. they didn't have any numbers on them. They had symbols that were specific to the game, and it was absolute garbage. It, I mean, I've played games like that before, though, and it hasn't been absolute. That's usually like a board game thing. Like I, I the thing it made me made me immediately think of was HeroScape, which is like the, the simpler, dumbed down Warhammer 40k. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it all attacked, and it, Warhammer does this. Warhammer doesn't do this specifically, but there are a lot of Warhammer adjacent games that do this. But it had its own dice that were just like there's a blank spot on one side and then there's like an attack thing on one side and a, a shield on the other. And that determines your combat nonsense and, essentially. And I've played games like that too, but imagine an extremely crunchy rule set with very complicated symbols that are not that. Uh, and um, mm. everything you're talking about, like using the force and stuff like that. So everything is very particular and very like has to be exact, but without using any numbers. Yeah. Yeah, it it was it was terrible. But <laughs> speaking of D6 systems, um have you ever played Savage Worlds? I've not. No. So Savage Worlds claim to fame basically is that Savage Worlds released this open source rule set. They said, "Here's Savage Worlds. Use it as you please." And so what happened was is hundreds of people across the internet put together entire role-playing games that were like this Savage Worlds. So people started just pumping out these different Savage World tabletops. And so like, like this one in the example, when I looked up the rule set, this is from a game of Scion, which is like a, a futuristic sci-fi version of Savage Worlds. The one we played was called 50 Fathoms, where you're basically uh, a pirate from old Earth and you're sailing through the Bermuda Triangle and you basically sail through a portal into this planet covered in mostly ocean and so you have to deal with like like the spanish naval fleet the chinese pirate empire and then aliens and stuff like that who are also (laughs) pirate and it's all pirates but with aliens and stuff it was a ton of fun um but serious treasure planet shit essentially (laughs) exactly very treasure planety um but it used a d6 system that was super easy basically um basically a series of just successes or fails. And then they had a Benny system, which was also really cool. So we used like poker chips and you got like three poker chips at the beginning of each game. And they worked as like fate tokens or something like that, you know, and like certain things you could do um, such as re-rolls, but certain things cost more. So like you could do like a straight up re-roll, but it's going to cost you two of the three you have this session or something like that. And it was, it was a really interesting concept. So looking at it, I don't see this as a West End game, but it seems like it might be like the successor to it because that sounds really, really similar. For for D6 Star Wars specifically, actually, what you would get is not tokens specifically, but you would just get light side or dark side force points, even as a non-Jedi, and, and you would be able to cash them in to, to re-roll or to do something specific, essentially. Does that sound similar or...? Um, kind of, it definitely sounds like it's along the same vein. And I mean, here's the thing, especially with, especially when you're looking at offshoots, right. Is I I think they all kind of run perpendicular to each other. I think that 
a lot of times you see different rule sets pulling from other rule sets, pulling from this rule set, doing this. I mean, look at this is a good time to mention Pathfinder. You know, look yeah. at Pathfinder, which was just a the spiritual successor to D and D three point five. Yeah, and and I was part of that. I played a lot of Pathfinder specifically because three point five gave way to fourth edition, and fourth edition, for those that are not aware, really turned everything upside down in the D and D space. So much so that Pathfinder kind of escapes off to the side uh, and, and just said, "We're just going to keep on doing what we were doing because we were happy." Uh, and I very much went with that crowd. Like I have a basement full of Pathfinder books back here somewhere uh, that I and, and and enough 3.5 knowledge that I could run that system fairly well without even thinking about it, to be honest. Uh, and that's very much what Pathfinder did. They just said, "We're just going to keep on doing 3.5 D and D." I don't know how they didn't get sued. I don't know the history behind that, but but that's essentially what happened. Well, I mean, that was that was actually the big thing that they talked about uh, in January. That was the whole thing that people were so up in arms about. So you can't legally copyright a rule set. You can copyright the name. So like somebody could go and recreate Monopoly. And as long sure. as they called everything different, they couldn't sue them for it. So you can't, that, that's the big thing. And what Wizards was trying to do was Wizards was trying to crack down on okay, that's fine, but we're going to copyright every single thing we can from, you know, owlbears to certain types of elves and stuff like that. And everyone sure. was like, whoa, dude. And so basically they turned around and were like, okay, you know, just kidding. We'll, we'll stick to how we used to do it. And so because of that, that's why Pathfinder can exist is because Pathfinder went, okay, we're just going to take the rules and then work off of that and you can't copyright rule sets that's interesting i don't know i'm be honest with you i don't know how accurate that is because uh, there was a lot of that stuff in back in january that was that was talked about but the, the main controversy was really more about them there i forget the specifics here but essentially they were talking about like hey we're going to take this rule set and say that it's ours and you can't do anything with it and the reason that people were up in arms about that is not because of the, like the legal side of it. It's just because it was kind of a dick move, honestly. Well, well, so what they were, what they were trying to do is they were trying to say, okay, we're not, we can't legally copyright the rule set. So like I, I pulled up the official U S copyright copyright does not protect the idea for a game or the method or methods of playing it, which is the big thing. But what they were saying is wizards of the coast was saying, okay, we can't copyright the game rule set, but what we're going to do is we're going to, Make it so that if anything that's a Wizards of the Coast copyright, for example, an owlbear is mentioned on any content creator's product, right? we're going to expect money from them for that or we will sue them. Yeah, and that was one of the big things is, is everybody was like, whoa, where does this end? Because, you know, there's playing in your living room and then there's, there's, you know, doing it for your little YouTube channel and then it goes all the way up to the people that are actually making money on like this. and Critical role and stuff. Right. Everybody out in LA doing this shit, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it is very murky on where that line would be. Because, yeah, I can totally see Wizards being like, Critical Role, you know, like, we basically have a partnership with them already. We should just try and make that a thing. Like, they have a YouTube show, or a, a, a Prime Video show now, for, for fuck's sake. But at the same time, like, there's a lot in between that at the peak and everyone else. And, and that's why everybody was so mad about it. Right. They're not talking about like the dimension twenties and the critical roles. They're talking right. about, you know, like you said, the guy 
do recording his home game in his garage and posting it on his little YouTube channel and stuff like that. Like, you know, even there's, there's probably plenty of people who are YouTube famous in a sense who are making enough money to support themselves and aren't the guys in LA. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. And all of a sudden Ah. Wizards of the Coast steps in and then they can't support themselves anymore. All right, we've gotten super hyper specific here. So <laughs> let, let's uh, let's zoom out a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, first, first of all, Kyle, have you ever been a GM? Yes. You have. Okay. What what games have you GM specifically? Fifth edition. Um, lots of fifth edition. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that for the first time now, and I'm really enjoying it. But I'm I, to... I I'm also deeply uncomfortable because I've lived in other systems for decades. I'm trying to think. A fifth edition might be the only thing I've actually GM'd. I've done. Okay. I've, I've GM'd it a lot. So, so we're talking to you specifically here with this, as far as alternatives. <laughs> so, I guess that's the main question we're trying to get at here. Is is you don't really consider Five E that crunchy, and I don't know that I agree with you on that because I would really like it to be looser than it is. But would you say overall that you prefer, whether it be as a player or a GM, do you prefer more specific and crunchy, like, hey, there's an answer to this question that somebody's asking in this book somewhere, or more laid back, loose rule sets that don't really care about the specifics and probably are not balanced. They're probably very easily taken advantage of if you have someone that's into min maxing and that kind of thing, but that's not really what it's about. So it's just a, I don't know, it's that late. That's the spectrum that I see here that we're talking about is mm-hmm. this. Super crunchy, there's an answer for everything, all the way back to laid back, let's just keep the story going kind of thing. Where do you think you fall on that spectrum? I don't care. <laughs> I've, I've You'll played, play it all. I've played a lot of tabletop RPGs. I've enjoyed sure. every single one that I've played. I will say that I kind of find the... Um, I had a lot of fun playing the player-facing one that was a lot looser and a lot less consequences, and I think it's also a little more boring in the long run i also think that i've played a lot of fifth edition and i think the questions that you're talking about come up less and less the more you play so like at this point that's absolutely true yeah the game we're in i think that's true of any system the game we're in is a year and a half old it's caleb's second campaign his first campaign lasted two years so we almost never have those questions yeah Um, you you determined them a long time ago right exactly and I think it, I think it depends, you know, if you're, if you're a player that's out there, that's hopping around, try a lot of different things. Anyways, if you're hopping around from campaign to campaign, as it is, try different game sets. There's, you've got nothing to lose. Um, I think that's the trap though, is, is I think that's, that's what all this has been about is it's, it's hard to escape D and D because it is the ubiquitous name. Like I know going into the current campaign that I'm running, that is five E I gave, the group of new people a choice essentially i said hey i can run my normal homebrew that i'm used to and you guys can be anything you want and i have a whole thing figured out or we can do a 5e thing and i i have a loose campaign set up for that too which would you guys like and they kind of said well let's go with the D thing because i played that before and i think that that's the inertia that's hard to overcome and i would agree with that i also think on the other side i think if you are a new player that's not played anything the fifth edition is better too because of the books, because of the availability. I I, I think I disagree with that entirely. It depends on how easy the rule set is though. 
Um, some of them, I'll put Savage Worlds, for example. Savage Worlds being such an open source system, I have a base idea of what the rule set is, at least the rule set I played in 50 Fathoms, but I'm sure mm-hmm. I could pull up 10 different Savage World rule sets right now, and every single one of them would be different. So it, it it's difficult when you're when you're looking on the internet, but I've also heard um, uh, my dad's a big D and D nerd and he DMs a game and he hates the internet. Cause he says that he says that he's been looking in a book and somebody's showing him a page on the internet and the rules for the same spell are different in both places. So that is true. There's a lot of five E stuff out there on D and D beyond and roll 20. Uh, and a lot, of, it's very, very difficult to determine sometimes the difference between somebody's homebrew and what's in the official rule book. And honestly, I enjoy that as a homebrew person. I think that people should be way less concerned about what's in the rule book and GMs should be just making decisions. I, but that I, is, that I, is my bias. I agree. But I, and I think kind of once you get to that point, like really does the whole fifth edition argument matter at that point, then if you're just playing it loose anyways. And that, I guess that's my, that that's what I want to talk about. It, honestly is, it seems like there's two different ways of doing it and it's not really about the system. It's about whether or not you're going to be a by the book person, quote unquote, because it's actually hard to determine what that is at this point. Mm-hmm. Or if you're just going to be a like, well, this makes sense person. And I think that's very much where most of this sits. And then there's a whole other line across that that says, I don't like that question and I just want to tell a story and I'm tired of this. You do it versus you don't do it thing. Let's just start at you do it. And the dice rolls will be about the flavor of how you do it more than anything else, which is what you see in a lot of those looser systems. And I think really aren't good. I think I dislike that last one the most. Um, uh, I am, I am definitely so it depends. I'm definitely more of a, this makes sense kind of person. Like I'll, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to allow something to happen. This makes sense. I but also, the question isn't, isn't whether or not it makes sense or not. It, it, the, the, that line on that side of things um, is, is whether or not you like pass fail or not, essentially. Mm. Cause that's what D and D and almost every other game system is based on is, is a pass fail situation of, you roll this and you do it, or you roll this poorly and you don't do it. And there's a lot of games out there right now that don't like that question and are trying to avoid it entirely. See, I think that that is making, I think that is, I think that creates lazy GMs because I think the thing is, is it's not you either pass it and you do it or you fail and you don't do it. It's, it's why, you know, why, what, what in this failing, how, how badly did you fail? What caused you to not do it? which is, I think, you know, a little bit of back and forth, a little bit of the player's responsibility as well as the GM's responsibility. But I I think it should be more of an explanation there. And I think that that kind of helps that problem a little bit because, I mean, uh, I guess not everyone in your RPG is human, but everyone's human, right? People make mistakes, people fuck up. And and that's, that's, I, I do, I do see the argument of, well, you're this grand adventurer, you're this hero of the kingdom. So how would you blunder on this? But I'm like, people blunder, man. Like shit happens. I, I think you're, you might be still misunderstanding a little bit though, because it's not, if you roll poorly, you can still do what you wanted to do 
and have it not go well. Does that make sense? So we, we brought up the swinging on the chandelier and kicking three people earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So you can do that. And on a good roll, it's like, yeah, man, you knock over all three people. You get up to the, the top of the stairwell, you grab the girl and you get out of there, you know, to use the old stereotypical fifties example, you can have all that go well and roll poorly and be like, you kick the first dude and it ends up that this and his sword gets tangled in the chandelier and you end up just like connected to this dude. Like you can kind of take that whole thing and divert it. And it, it, as a GM, it lets you make what would be like a, you know, like I'm the hero situation into a totally effed up situation that somebody now has to deal with. Right. But I, I mean, why couldn't you do that in fifth edition? You can. I'm not saying you can't. Yeah. Cause, see, and that's the thing is, is I think, I think people get too stuck in this pass fail thing because in my mind, what you just described is still failing. Sure. Right. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I, I think the thing is, is I think the problem is, is we have a lot of people who just aren't very creative and they go, ah, you failed, you missed the chandelier, but that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. And that's, and that's where I'm coming from is, is I think, I think, and this Actually, is, I think it's, I think it's worse than that, Kyle. I think that what we have, and, and this is sometimes it's an unimaginative person. And sometimes it's just inexperience and no one haven't asked the question before. Well, and that's but what I, think I was going to say. Worst, the worst thing you can have in any tabletop RPG is someone saying, I attacked the goblin. Right. And the GM just going, okay, roll a D20. <laughs> like, right. it, it's something that you have to repeat over and over and again as a GM. Like, well, how? How are you doing it? You know? Even if it's just like... I take my axe out. I, I take my axe off my back, and I I do just a cross slash across the main body mass. That tells me so much more as a GM about whether that's going to go well, whether it's going to go poorly, how that did the damage that it rolled, all of those type of things that tell a story and 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 put you in the space as opposed to just somebody saying I attack it. Right, and and that's and that's exactly my thought process. I think it's an experience thing. I think that playing all the different types of rule sets, the different types of games have given uh, me and you and a lot of the people we play with more of an experience with how different things can end up, how different situations can go, as well as just a general length of time playing the game. You know, I, I, (laughs) our last session, uh, we had one, two players that had kidnapped a jockey and taken his place to ride in a nightmare steed race. Mind you, a character who had never been on even a normal horse before. Uh, awesome. While my Gith Yankee and our ooze named Yall uh, tried to sell our human paladin as a sex slave to the Grand Sultan of the City of Brass. So, wow. yeah, you, you get these pretty wild, crazy games where it's not just attack the goblin. Um, but sure. I think stuff like that does take time and experience. Yeah. I, and honestly, some of it takes, you know, a group that's willing to not just get into combat too. I've mm-hmm. always said I'm a hack and slash GM. I'm about combat. Uh, when I did riffs, I started you guys off in the borderlands universe and almost didn't give you a choice as far as like <laughs> what's going on. Uh, you know, you were just like, no, you're going to get in gunfights. It's just going to happen, you know, kind of thing. But 
at the same time, I really, really enjoy that when I do get a group that can just be like, well, this guy's shooting at us, but you know, like, well, let's figure it out and try and try and figure out another way to, to deal with this situation. I will tell you what though, my fighter paladin, uh, hasn't gotten in a fight in four sessions and he's itching right now. (laughs) And there's that too. Absolutely. But more, what I'm saying is it, it's one of the hardest things to do as a GM in any system is to get a group to make a plan. And it can be a totally nonsensical plan. I think that that's something that you enjoy as a GM, if it makes zero sense whatsoever, whether you're coming from the perspective of like, let's make this nonsense awesome, or there's a lot of people that are like, well, this is going to blow up in their faces and I'm going to laugh a lot. Both of those things are valid, I think. It's just about your style as a GM. Uh, But it's hard to find a group that will even get to that position as opposed to just kind of looking at you and being like, so do we roll initiative? You know, because that's that's kind of where that, at least where 5e seems like it wants to be, in my opinion. See, and I mean, I, I really think that maybe that is where it wants to be. Maybe Maybe you're right with that. Maybe 5e, as a generalized, looking at it from an outside perspective, wants to be there, to be simple, to be easy to pick up. But I don't think I've seen that in years. You know what I mean? Have you been playing with an established play group, though? Yeah. I think that might be part of it, is when you pick up newer people that aren't aware, uh, maybe it's just a, a lack of explaining tabletop RPGs well to people, because I know when I started in high school, you know, my, my buddy, Chris, who is a listener, he, uh, he, he very much introduced the whole concept to me. He's like, you know how there's, you'll be in a video game and you'll just like run into that wall. That's not a wall. It's just like air and you can't get past it. He's like, F that. This is about, you can do whatever you want to do. And of course I responded to that by immediately trying to steal from a, a bank. Uh, and it went poorly for me because sure. that's what anyone would do in that situation. <laughs> you know. But I, I still think that that's the route that people need to be explained when they start playing is like, hey, there aren't lines here. Like, don't be a jerk and start raping people or whatever. But like, there's no lines here. You can do whatever you want. And yeah. that's what's cool I, about this space. I this, will, this will say that our ooze has committed genocide. But it's something we're working on. You know, what ooze hasn't? Yeah. And I guess it would be xenocide because they're insect people. <laughs> so your ooze had a giant magnifying glass? Is that, that uh, what, what I'm hearing? And, you know, he's like an extension of an elder god, and he fed their entire population <laughs> to the elder god. It's a long story, but we're dealing with it. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, you know, when I first started playing Rifts and was told I could do anything, I made a geneticist cis lord, so uh, who ended up immediately stealing the DNA of every party member. So I get it. I yeah. understand. Yeah. The, uh, the, one of my favorite things though, is my great sword, which is a normal great sword. It's not cursed. It's not, it's just a great sword. It has a kill count of one. That is as in it by itself, because I'd been picked <laughs> up by a dragon and dropped and I'd fallen unconscious and dropped my sword and we rolled a percentage dice and the sword fell into one of the enemies. That's amazing. Yeah. So we, we have a ton of fun and you can not to say I don't enjoy all these other rule sets. I, I do love playing different rule sets. I do. 
I don't think that fifth edition is the end all be all by any means. I think um, it's got a lot of support being the most popular, especially if you are interested in getting into homebrew, I wouldn't recommend you immediately jump into Doug's uh, riffs, but I also hear that uh, Doug it, has a, a new 20 minute character builder. Uh, it's not even 20, it's 20 questions, 20 questions, uh, even which better. Is, I, I actually stole from seven C. Uh, it's one of the better character creators I've ever seen where it, it basically asks 20 questions about your character that you have to answer. Um, and, and that, advises the gm kind of which direction you want to go uh and i figured why not automate that and steal its entire soul uh so i did and i made a google form that will you can answer 20 questions about your character and it will basically spit out a character sheet at the end of it uh and had a whole bunch of fun doing it for a d100 system i'm going to try it with my riffs thing when i finally get a group together uh, i gotta finish my 5e campaign first though so that's all out there, uh, and I'm I'm very excited about it. I, I want to play with it a whole bunch. Um, but is is that something we can link? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can. I think I already threw it up in the Discord, but I can do that, and people can play with it, and it'll mm. spit out character sheets for them, and it, it's fun. The numbers won't mean anything to them. <laughs> it's the only problem. Yeah. But if, uh, and if it's if it's public uh, in your Google Drive, I think we can link it in the show notes as well. We absolutely can. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, we can make that happen. Because that'd be fun. All right. Like you said, it it might be nonsensical numbers, but it's still fun. It is. I, I've put a whole bunch of... The way I was testing it was I was putting, like, established characters from my favorite things. Like, I put Darth Vader through there. You know? Just, like, like how would Darth Vader answer these 20 questions, essentially? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a funny thing to think about. But that that's how I was testing it. Uh, and I, I had a whole bunch of fun doing it. And it starts like, like 20 questions. Cause again, riffs is you can be anything. Uh, so like I put a, uh, a sentient potato made of poison from one of my favorite web comics from back in the day named Topato through it, for instance. And it, it was the first question in the 20 questions is, are you animal, mineral or vegetable? You know? And it was like, well, I'm a vegetable. <laughs> so there you go. That's a ridiculous first question. It is, it, but it needs to be that broad for how broad a system I'm talking about because I have homebrewed riffs to I to an intolerable extent. Oh, look at that. I opened up my Google Drive to check, and uh, there's Star Wars Rulebooks 2017. <laughs> I know I sent it to you, but we'll, we'll, do that, uh, we'll do that off the air. In the meantime, uh, we have I gotten off subject so much that I don't know that we actually even covered anything today. Uh, but I am still happy with this as an episode. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's so much fun. I love talking role-playing. I love playing games. Uh, I know you do as well. We will still have to drag Matt uh, into playing some sort of role-playing game online uh, at some point. Yes, I was going to say is, uh, we, we do love and miss Matt, but uh, I feel like this was probably a good episode that he doesn't mind missing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, we could... Uh, we could blame him, but apparently he had like some kind of crazy personal thing going on. Mm -hmm. You know, it, nobody's ever had those kind of things happen. Not once, not ever. I've never <laughs> missed an episode actually. <laughs> Certainly not the last two. <laughs> All, right, All right. Uh, remind me what the outro is. Cause I never remember. Uh, I think I'm Kyle. I'm Doug. Yeah. And we're the casual tutors. Question mark. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Occupational and, outro. Oh, I was going to do the outro. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Go ahead, Kyle. Go ahead. What you got? Octopus outro.
Oh, there you go. I like that. Eight legs just getting in everything. <laughs>